Philippians chapter 4. We've gone as far as verse 6. If you're, you know, visiting with us, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Because all of God's word is inspired by God and it is profitable for correction, reproof, for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness. It is beneficial for us. And as we read here, the few verses, we're going to cover verses 6 through 9. As I said, this is very, very important for us in the day in which we were living in to apply it in our lives. So you want to mark these verses. You want to remember these verses. Continually go to these verses like I do uh, as we know that uh, we live in a day where it's very, very difficult and, and things can weigh on us and cause anxiety and worry in us. As we are in this final chapter of the epistle, keep in mind that Paul is writing uh, from Rome, waiting for his appeal before the emperor, Caesar Nero. And in this epistle, Paul is expressing joy in this letter and he's expressing thanksgiving as well. So let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word, that we would be attentive. This is not just a, a sermonette, but Lord, this is the written word of God. God breathed, put to the page. And it wasn't just a, a message to a church 2,000 years ago. It was, but it's for us today, preserved for all eternity. And Lord, we live in a day where so many people are anxious and worried and overburdened and overwhelmed. So we want to take your word as truth. And Lord, work it in our hearts and help us. We need your help. We need your word, your counsel, because you're the wonderful counselor. Help us to be quiet before you. We want our ringers off our phones. We want to be attentive for these few minutes as we hear your word because we go out of here and there's so many voices that are out there that bombard us. So, Lord, I thank you that we're here. I pray you bless this time in every heart here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, he's expressing joy in this epistle to a church that he had established on his second missionary journey um, the first church established in Philippi and on the continent of, of Europe. So now it's 10 years later after the church of Philippi was established, and he is in prison. He's waiting to go on trial, as we all know. And it's interesting because Paul doesn't know if he's going to be put to death or released. We've seen that and talked about that as we've gone through this, this letter that he wrote to them. But he writes that, I rejoice in the service and sacrifice of your faith. And my prayer is that, that I may know him. I don't look to my, what I accomplish in the flesh, uh, my religiousness before I came to Christ, that, that I want to know him and press on in the upward call, the prize of Christ Jesus. Uh, I count all of that religiousness as dung uh, and to know him and to walk with him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And remember this, you in Philippi, that your citizenship is in heaven. Now that would carry um, an important message to them because most of the citizens there in Philippi were retired Roman officials, uh, military commanders, things like that. 
So most of the people in Philippi were citizens of Rome. Now, not that many people were citizens when you look at the overall population because Rome had conquered the known world at that time. So to have that status as a citizen uh, you know, was, was something that was special and only a few people had. Paul's writing to them and saying, you may be citizens of Rome, but here's something even more important. You're citizens of heaven. And I hope and pray that we would always remember that. You know, we belong to a nation that we very much appreciate, we're concerned about. But always remember this, that we're pilgrims passing through. And we are citizens of heaven. We belong to the kingdom of God that's going to last forever. And he goes on, and as he is writing, he is reminding them to keep eternal perspective. In the other prison epistle that we're going to begin to look at in just a couple weeks, the book of Colossians, he writes to them that seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God and set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. And Paul here talks a whole lot about a certain mindset that we are to have. We are to have the mind of Christ. I, I, I learned so much from the apostle. He's not murmuring and complaining. He says, do all things without disputing, complaining. Uh, Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. He's addressed that. But what we are learning is that you and I are to be humble. We are to serve others in sacrifice and love. We look out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others, to esteem others. And when there is disputing and arguing and being selfish, we lose our joy. And as we pick up our text, we know that we lose our joy when we become anxious or we begin to worry. There are going to be a lot of things that we can worry about. There's a lot of things that bring anxiety into our lives. We worry about our current situation. We worry about the future. We all can experience that. Now, my dad, who went home to be with the Lord several years ago, that he was one that worked very, very hard. And he taught us kids that work is good. And he taught us to work. And, and I appreciate that. But one of the things about my dad as well, as I think about him, is he was one that worried He was a worrier. And I can have that same tendency as my dad. I can worry about my family, my my kids, even though they're adults. I can become anxious concerning the ministry. And I don't want to. I want to trust in the Lord. And there are times where I, I, I say, I trust in you, Lord, but I'm really not resting in you. Big difference. Resting in your love and in your promises for me. And there are seasons where I can feel overwhelmed. And I'm sure that you do as well. And perhaps as you say the same thing about your kids or the future, decisions you have to make. And we fret and are overwhelmed and worry and become anxious about a thousand different things. What do we do? Paul certainly, that he was in uncertain times. He had a reason to be anxious. But he tells us here in verse 6, and these are verses 6 through 9 that really are important for us uh, in our lives to have that peace that God wants us to have, to to know that he wants to guard our hearts and minds, for us to to continue forward in that in our Christian lives. But he says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. 
And I suppose if I were to ask those who have come through the services today, if any of you, are you feeling anxious about something in your life? I think that a number of people would say, yes, I do feel anxious. I am worried about something. I am overwhelmed about this. And it may be because of finances. It might be because of relationships. It might be because of health problems. Whatever it is, decisions that have to be made, the job, our business, and there are a lot of things that come into our lives that cause us to worry, that cause us to be anxious. And we, as we do feel anxious, we wonder, how is everything going to work out? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month? What's going to happen six months from now? Lord, can't you tell me? <laughs> but the Lord wants me to rest in him. And one of the things I've realized in, in my years of walking with the Lord, that when I do become you know, anxious about things, I worry about things, a lot of times it's because I want to control things. Rather than, you know, hey, I cannot control this situation and giving it to the Lord. So I think that it's safe to say that most of us, if not all of us, have felt anxious or uh, heavy about something in our lives. And, and really it begins to weigh on us. And there are many that perhaps even today feel that way. They've come through the services. As I said, Paul had a reason to be very, very anxious. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. What will Caesar Nero do to him? Is he going to behead me or he's going to release me? Now, Paul was released by Nero in this first imprisonment, but would be rearrested a short time after that. And then he would be put to death. So here he is, pinned to a Roman guard. He, he, I, I love this epistle because Paul, in the uncertainty, he focuses on that which is certain, and that is the Lord, and the promise of heaven, and the eternal perspective. And I learned from that because you don't sense that he's anxious in this letter. He's not murmuring. He's not complaining. He, he's one that he is writing to us, and he's telling us to be thankful, to be joyous. To be prayerful. Be anxious for nothing. And it is not that Paul is saying, hey, just go around snapping your fingers and tapping your toes and just singing, I'm happy, just happy all the time. Nothing bothers me. None of us can do that because of the problems and the challenges of the world that come to us. He is telling us as we open up the chapter, hey, stand fast in the Lord. Have the same mind in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. How does that work? Well, we're told in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and then you will experience the peace of God. So you be anxious about nothing. You pray about everything. The Lord invites you and I to come to him and to pray. And be thankful in all things. A Christian has a reason to be thankful because we are citizens of heaven. That our names are written in the book of life. He's told us that, that we're going to have new heavenly bodies. To be looking for the return of the Lord. We belong to him. And that is our future. So be thankful for what God has provided for us. That we are adopted sons and daughters of the living God. That we can cry out, Abba, Father, and cast our cares upon him. Because he cares for us. And you see that Paul was one day he did pray. He prayed about everything. He gave supplications specifically. And he did it with thanksgiving. 
Now, I look at scripture, there was another individual that was feeling anxious. His name was Hezekiah. He was the king of Judah. And Hezekiah was one that loved the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But he found himself being very anxious as well. You read about him in 2 Kings chapter 18 through 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 29 through 32, and Isaiah chapter 36 through 37. And this is what was going on. The Assyrians, they were the powerhouse of the day in Hezekiah's day. They had a massive army, and they headed towards Jerusalem. They had years previously taken the ten northern tribes of Israel off into captivity. They had been flexing their muscles to all the nations in that area of the Middle East. You see, when the Assyrians came, when they captured an area, when they defeated their foes, the Assyrians were known for their brutality. We read in those chapters of Isaiah those nations that would be ones that would experience the wrath of the Assyrians, that even the bravest of their men would weep at the news that the Assyrians were coming to get them. Whole villages and cities would pack up and desert their homes when the Assyrians came towards them, and, there's, and they would flee and try to find a place of refuge. The ancient cities in those days would have walls around them, and when they would be threatened by the enemy, they would you know, close the gates of the city. They would be protected by the walls, but the Assyrians, what they would do is they would surround you, and then they would give you an ultimatum. Either you surrender or we're going to starve you. And they would make sure that no food or water got into the city. And then they were ones that they invented the battering rams. In other words, they would take those big cedar trees and, and make uh, these, these you know, big timbers and they would bash down your gates with these battering rams. And they would do you in. They were unbeatable in battle. They were unparalleled in brutality. And after they bashed down your gates, if you surrendered, they would put fish hooks in your mouth. And they would drag you off back to Assyria, and you would end up being in slavery, going off into captivity. Just a little side note for you prophecy students, Ezekiel 38. The Assyrians would put hooks in your mouth and drag you off. What does God say to the invading army that comes into Israel in Ezekiel 38? I'm going to put a hook in your mouth, and I'm going to bring you down, and you're going to be defeated by me. Kind of interesting that when you think about this, and, and here they would do that, and they were known for skinning people alive. They would take the men of the city that they capture, and they would draw a spear through their back and up through the top of their heads, and then they would put that post in the ground along the road. So when people were coming along the road, they saw that the Assyrians had attacked. They would see all the dead corpses on those spears in the ground, and they would get the point that these guys are brutal, and you don't mess with the Assyrians. And it's one of the reasons I believe that Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh. There are those scholars, as Jonah, you know the story, that he was told to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians, and he says, I'm not going. He gets in a boat to go to Tarshish, and he gets thrown overboard and then swallowed by a large fish. But Jonah, some believe that perhaps he was so afraid of them, he didn't want to go. I don't really see that in, in that Old Testament book. I see that he didn't really like them. I think he hated them for their brutality. 
And the Assyrians were really unparalleled in their cruelty and brutality and power. So here's Hezekiah. He's hearing reports that the mighty Assyrian army is headed for Jerusalem. They had already taken, as I said, the ten northern tribes off into captivity. And they had begun to come up against some of the cities of Judah and capture them. So King Hezekiah uh, and Jerusalem were next. And it was Shennacherib. He was the king of Assyria himself, along with his general by his side, Rabshakeh. And so Hezekiah was really anxious. He was full of anxiety to the max, and understandably so. So what did Hezekiah do? Well, this is what he did. First of all, Hezekiah sent word to the king of Assyria. Hezekiah, this godly king, he says, I've done wrong. I'll pay you off. And he took all the silver that he found in the temple and ripped off the gold off the doorpost of the temple. And he sends it to the king of Assyria, hoping that would appease him, that he would stop. The king of Assyria, he takes the gold, the silver, he takes the goods. He says, I'll take it, but I'm not going to stop coming at you. It didn't help. The Assyrian army made their way even closer. Hezekiah then turned to the Egyptians. Hey, Pharaoh, you, you have a military. You have horses and you got chariots. Join in with us and help us. Let's make this allegiance or they might do you in as well. So we will give you what wealth we have, but Egypt would end up being defeated by the Assyrians. It was at that time that the prophet Isaiah comes to to Hezekiah the king. In Isaiah chapter 30, which is a very important chapter, as we learn from that, that the prophet would say that woe to the rebellious children of Israel for you take counsel but not of me. You don't take counsel of me. Here you are devising plans but not of my spirit and Pharaoh and Egypt will be your shame. Egypt, uh, her militaries, the fast Arabian horses and all the chariots, they're not going to help you one bit. But what you need to do is come to me, and in returning and rest, you shall be saved, and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. In other words, the invitation is for them to come to the Lord, call out on the Lord, and in quietness, trust in the Lord. And as you come to me, and as you wait on me, I'll be gracious to you, and then you will hear from me a word behind you saying, this is the way. This is the way, walk in it. Come to me. Why are you going to the world? To Egypt, which is a picture of the world. But in coming to me, you will find rest and strength and peace and direction. But it comes from me, the one who is declared to be the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the one who stood on the hillside and said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come learn of me. And that invitation is given to you that are here, that are worried, have the enemy surrounding you and coming against you and threatening you. See, what happens is a lot of times we'll try to appease or pay off the enemy. I'll give in to the enemy. I'll appease the enemy. It'd be a lot easier. You know, I'll be deceitful. I'll lie. I'll, you know, do it that way. I'll be vengeful, whatever it might be. Or I'll take the advice of the world. This is what the world tells me to do. 
rather than going to the Lord. And perhaps you've experienced this, I know that I have, that through the years, I have those who come and talk to me, and I'm glad that you do. I'm glad that you, you come, and I'll, you're worried, and you're upset, and you have reason to be. And I'll say, have you prayed about this? And I've had plenty of people say, well, I'm so upset I can't pray about it. And I'll say, let's stop, let's pray. Let's first of all pray, and then here's God's word, what it has to say about your situation, your circumstance given to you. It saddens me when I hear, when people say, well, that won't work. I'm going to do something else. You know, I'm going to do what the world wants me to do, or it's easier, or whatever, because I know they're going to continue in that anxiety and confusion when the Lord wants to work in incredible ways. We need to go to Him, that the Lord is their strength. We need to remember that and, and remind others in their time of need and trial, He will guide you and give you rest. But you go to him and seek him and be quiet and hear his voice. He promises, listen, he promises that you will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And that's something that I need to remember. Or I end up just being anxious all the time and full of anxiety. So how I end up for Hezekiah? Well, Shennacherib, he surrounds the city. He has at least 185,000 soldiers. And he says to Hezekiah, uh, he says to the leaders, the scribes, Eliakim and Shabna, they're up on the wall and they're recording this. And Shennacherib, he starts saying, what's this you trust in Egypt? They're nothing but a broken reed. And he was right. And then he said, who is this God that Hezekiah is telling you to trust in? No other God of the other nations have stopped this, and your God won't either. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Now, have you ever had a Shennacherib whisper that in your ear? Don't trust God. You know, go to the world. You know, this is the world's way. Figure it out yourself, but don't trust God. And those voices are all around us. Who is this God that Hezekiah is telling you to trust in? Well, this is what happened. It was Hezekiah, as the scribes wrote it all down, gave it to the king. The king took it, got away in the house of the Lord, began to pray. He spread it out, he prayed, and he fasted. And the people prayed, and they fasted. And then Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and said, you don't need to fear those Assyrians. They're not going to enter into the city. Not even an arrow is going to come in. Well, what happened is an angel came. An angel. Doesn't even say an archangel. An angel comes and kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Can you imagine as they got up and they're on the wall and all these corpses are out there dead? Who is this God that Hezekiah is saying you trust in? Well, you met him, Shennacherib, and he wiped out your army. He goes back to Assyria. He goes into his pagan temple and he's worshiping his pagan god, and they come in and they kill him. You anxious this morning? The word of the Lord to you is be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. Be thankful in all things, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. A peace that passes understanding. You see, a lot of times, I want understanding. 
And I've come to realize that I go through things in life that I don't understand why I'm going through it or why you allowed this or why the hurt or why the pain. And Lord, what is going to happen? And he says, I want you to come to me and trust in me day by day. And trust that I'm going to work and rest in me. And you continue to come see me daily and pray and be thankful. And you may not be able to figure out how it's going to work right now, but you can look to me and I'm going to give you that peace that, listen, passes understanding. And it will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And as we do that, we won't be full of anxiety. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Confidence of God's promises are true and that he's working in your life to will and to do of your good pleasures and that he does care about you. So it is be anxious, pray about everything with thanksgiving, and then it's important what it is that you meditate on. This is really important in the day in which we're in. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true and whatever things are noble, whatever things are just and whatever things are pure... Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We go to the Lord. He wants us to go to him. He invites us to go to him. And you give your supplication requests with thanksgiving to him. And then it's important what it is that you're bringing into your mind, what you're meditating on. Whatever things are true or noble, just and pure, whatever things are lovely of good report or praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. In other words, you focus on those things that are good and godly and true. Now, as I said, there's a lot of voices that are out there. We want to be informed. We watch the news. We, we see all the information that is around this. But what is it that you're focusing on? Is it just the world and the problems of the world and the news of the world? Or are you reading your Bible? Are you keeping an eternal perspective? Paul here is he addressed the problem that was going on in the church. There's two individuals. They're quarreling. They weren't of the same mind. They were causing there to be division in the church. And Paul says, listen, you, you Odia and you Syntyche, be of the same mind. I urge you Christians in Philippi to help these two come together. They labored with me at one time for the gospel. Now they're not. Now they're fighting and caught up in this conflict. And remind them, and, and you need to be reminded, and us here today, that you focus on what is good. Keep your focus God-centered. Meditate on the things that are, number one, true. There's a lot of deception out there. There's a lot of weirdness that is out there. Focus on that which is true, which means anything that is reliable or consistent with God's character. Be fair in the way that you deal with people. Don't manipulate or, you know, the truth to try to make yourself look better or to manipulate a situation. We're on to meditate on second of all what is noble, which means that which claims respect. I'm sure those two individuals that were causing strife and division in the church, they didn't respect each other and they weren't respecting others. They were tearing people down. We need to have a respect for others. Sometimes what I read or what I have read that Christians put on social media? I don't know how else to say it's awful. It's one of the reasons I got off social media. 
I, I just, we can use it for the church to try to reach people, but I just don't like it. I just don't. Too much analysis, analyzing. I know it can be helpful. I'm not telling you to get off social media. But there's so much criticism and so much negativity and tearing people down. And it grieves me when I see it comes from Christians. I'm just being honest. Thirdly, meditate on that which is just or that which is worthy of God's approval. Whatever is pure, which of course means something which is wholesome, that which is untouched by evil. In other words, your thoughts are not pure if you entertain the idea of how I can hurt somebody. Our motives in ministry to others is not pure if we consist of selfishness and greed and conceit, whatever else that might be sinful. Do you want to hurt someone? Do you want to tear them down? And yet think you're walking in the will of God? That's not being pure. And it goes on to those things that we're to focus on is lovely, which speaks of that which promotes peace rather than conflict. We live in a cynical world, and it can carry into our lives. You can watch cable news all day long, and it's just, you know, just blasting people all the time, analyzing, scrutinizing, criticizing. And then we bring that into our Christian lives. The sixth of the things listed here that we're to meditate on and that which is a good report, that which is positive and constructive and uplifting rather than just being negative and destructive. It is the person that is commendable and doesn't discourage and how we need that in the body of Christ. Now, as you meditate on these six things, they are described as excellent, that virtue, and praiseworthy. Listen, if you just listen to the world all day long, and I am not saying you should not be informed. I watch the news. I want to be informed. I want to know what's going on. I get concerned on what's going on in the world, the direction of our nation, the decline spiritually, morally. I'm concerned about those things. They bum me out as well. But I'm not going to meditate on it all day long, and I know Christians that are just angry all day long because that's all they watch. What I'm saying is make sure that you're reading your Bible and that you're heeding the command. All of us need to take this to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is it that I'm really prioritizing and meditating in my life? What is it that I'm bringing into my mind all day long? Now, as you meditate on those things, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy name, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. The point is this. We praise God by pointing out his excellence, keeping an eternal perspective. He is superior to everything in every aspect. God is one who has brought us into the kingdom, made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, and God needs to be praised for his virtue and his excellence, his provision in every way. Now remember, going through this epistle, Paul has been instructing us on how we are to think. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And here he tells us we meditate on, you know, Christ Jesus. We meditate on the eternal things. That which is true, that which is noble, just, pure, lovely, that which is a good report. It's consciously 
daily making that choice to say, I'm going to think about those things which are good and godly and righteous. I'm going to think about those things that will honor the Lord. But my natural tendency can be, or yours, is to focus on the negative. And that which is worldly. And that which is substandard qualities about others or ourselves. And we make fun and we insult and we tear down and we criticize. Rather than approving the things that are excellent. And giving praise and thanksgiving. You know, that's one of the things on this Mother Day that I, I really learned from my mom. My dad was a warrior, but my mom is kind of like, I can worry about things. Sue doesn't, my wife. I tell Sue, I, I tell her, I said, I can't worry for the both of us. You've got to do some worrying, you know. <laughs> but Sue is, is the same way, which I'm so thankful that my mom, they always approving the things that are excellent. Not just being critical and down. And my, my mom just was always so uplifting. Always so, so thankful for what God had done in our family. And the question to ask ourselves, what is it that I think about my conversation to others? Is it pure and lovely and good report? And this is a commandment of the Lord given to us. To meditate on these things. These verses are very important to us. To remember that. And if we don't and don't apply it, we're not going to have a peace that passes understanding. These are good verses to write down on our TV set, maybe on your computer, your tablets, whatever. What I'm saying is be careful, folks. That your mind isn't filled all day long with the things that are not pure and noble and just and lovely and a good report and excellent and praiseworthy because what goes into your mind does affect you. And if you're filling your mind with a lot of negative, carnal, worldly stuff, then you're going to go to bed and you're just going to be negative and carnal and you're going to be tossing and turning and you're going to wake up just being down and discouraged and negative. These are important verses to teach to your children. I would teach them to my kids. And I remind them of it. To help them make good decisions on what they watch and what they listen to because it will make a difference. Paul would write in Romans chapter 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and acceptable will of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Hold every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. What do we spend our time on, our priority on? Why do you think that Madison Avenue spends so much money in advertising over and over again so you see it over and over again that I need that thing, I need to buy that, I need to have that to make my life better because they're trying to get that into your mind. That'll make my life better. So it's important what we meditate on, but then verse 9. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, speaking of the God of peace. How do we have the peace of God? We pray about everything. 
with thanksgiving. We go to the Lord, meditate on the things of the Lord, and not only does the Christian life involve proper thinking, but listen, this is so important, it involves right living. Notice as he's writing to us, first of all, the things which you've learned and received, the things which you have heard, you saw in me, excellent, I like this. I think that most of us, we want to teach our kids and others that are linked to us what is right and true for them to receive it. But do they see it worked out in our lives? I want you to see it in my life. I know you do too. Paul's ministry was show and tell. He told them, but he also showed them. And may that be our ministry, that we be godly examples to the people that we know in our lives, the people that we minister to, that we can say like the apostle, join in following my example, that we can say the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. And I think we all want peace. So be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Be thankful in all things. Meditate on those things which are good and godly. And then the things which you have learned, you walk in wisdom. That's what wisdom is. It's not just having a head knowledge, but having it worked out in your life. And you know what you'll find? The peace of God ruling in your heart. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these verses that are very important to us. And, Lord, we thank you for your word which is true for us. So I want to pray for anybody here right now that they're anxious. Situation, problem, circumstances, just worrying, anxious, overwhelmed. That you would just give it to the Lord right now. You would thank him for the word given to you. His promises for you. That you can cast your cares on him because he cares for you that he invites you to come and to call out on him, to wait on him. He promises to be gracious to those who wait on and that you will hear from him and he's going to work and his promises are true. That you would continually just keep going to him and putting the word of God and the comfort of the Lord into your heart to meditate on him, his promises, his goodness, his faithfulness to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us in these days because I know I can feel overwhelmed at times to not only trust in you but to rest in you. Lord, I thank you that your word is given to us to counsel us and that we can go to the wonderful counselor. And I do pray for anyone who's here or maybe watching that you've never made a commitment to Christ that you need to be forgiven. He is your Savior. He's the only Savior of the world that came and died for your sins and rose again from the grave. We all have need of forgiveness because the wages of sin is death and we've all sinned. And the invitation is for you to come to repent and turn to Christ, call out on the name of Jesus, ask for forgiveness, believe that he rose from the grave and you will be saved. It's coming in faith. And you can do that right now. Listen, today is the day of salvation.
and you can call out on him, Jesus, I come to you and ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. You rose again. Forgive me, a sinner. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for bringing me into the kingdom of God, a citizen of heaven, and this new beginning. And I do want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life, to trust you, to grow in your word. And I thank you for today, in Jesus' name. For all of us, as we go our way, bless all the moms here this morning. Lord, keep working in our lives and drawing us to you and growing in faith and looking to you in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.